0: The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll.
1: The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen centric government? This
0: is my- I'm proud to call it home This is my country I'll never stand alone
1: It's time for populism with a purpose Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Corday Joyce is a businesswoman not a politician and she's here to offer pragmatic possible and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century Your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. What are we going to talk about? Here? We're going to
0: talk about China. China? We're going to talk about China. I'm going to shock everybody. I'm going to say I agree with the President of the United States.
1: Uh, that he should order no, all, no, all no, of no. our companies
0: to retreat from China? No, 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 no. I'm not going to agree with him there. What do you What do you think? Do you think I, I suddenly had a brain meltdown? No. Um, there needs to be what we should have done.
1: What sh- wait? What should ha- we have done? Wait. What did we do, and what should ha- we have done?
0: Well, let's go back to the beginning. Okay, the president was absolutely right to finally take a stand to call the Chinese to account for decades of abusive trade and espionage practices. That goes back as far as the Clinton administration. You remember how they how they celebrated the exit of of uh, manufacturing jobs to China saying, oh, we're going to have this big knowledge economy. Um, little did they expect the dot-com bust. They thought the dot-com boom was the future of America. Highly speculative gambles on p- companies that made no money while surrendering our supremacy as a manufacturing company, a country. Um
1: Pets dot com pets.com seemed like a great idea to me at the time.
0: Uh I couldn't I couldn't get there. Um I mean, you know, uh if you don't own a hundred pound dog, I didn't see the advantage of having to uh wait to have somebody deliver the pet food that I could buy at the grocery store or pick up at the vet's. Um I I never I never got it. And I was, you know, I I mean I, I was working at Gartner at the time, and Gartner actually came out in, in the beginning of um, 2000 at our spring um, symposium, and we actually took uh, a probability stand of 70% that 90% of those dot-com companies would be out of business by the end of the year, and we were pretty damn close. And And George Bush, as a candidate for the presidency, said, This is not going to last. We're going to end up in recession next year. And he was absolutely right. There came a moment. And and there is some of that in the stock market right now, the 663-point drop. I mean, the the concept of price versus earnings as a way to measure the cost of stock um, has kind of flown out the window. And I think at some point, um, we all need to get um, our heads around that. But that's not the biggest problem right now. China and the, the trade war with China is, um, you know, the United States sneezes and the world gets a cold. Um, and so we are all at risk. And what you saw on Friday when the market dropped 663 points was was sheer anxiety, terror, an unsettled future, not knowing where we are going. Okay. And so... Let's take just a moment, think about, go back to Clinton, think about what the Chinese were thinking, okay? And then let's talk for just a moment or two about where we are with the China trade war and what we could have done differently that would have been more effective with China and less traumatic, to American industry and would have in fact made it possible for American industry to do what it wants to do, which is plan, plan for the future, and then implement those plans over a period of time with a reasonable degree of certainty. So we gave them a reasonable degree of certainty in a new tax package, and then in this China situation took all of that That certainty away. So let's talk for just a moment about what happened. You know, we opened China in the Nixon administration, and China was really at that point um, internally divided and and really quite poor. Um, And as I said, starting in the Clinton administration, we saw a real job drain. They had mastered the art of. Uh, repetitive manufacturing at costs that we could never come close to and at the same time American unions were you know running prices their wages up Um, wage packages in the auto industry then were over forty dollars an hour when in China and Japan they were paying two or three dollars an hour They were paying a dollar an hour to um, assembly line workers in Brownsville, Texas, who made some of the electronics, et cetera, that were going into cars at that time. So um, we had a wage issue. Um, They had a manpower surplus. And the rest, as we know, is history. But China's ambitions were bigger. China sees itself as a 5,000-year-old, the oldest civilization on Earth today. Um, And it wants to climb the food chain in terms of global power, both commercially and militarily uh, and politically. So the fastest way that they could get there was through coercion. And if that didn't work, then they tried outright theft. So first they would try to get American companies to trade their uh, blueprints for uh, for how they manufactured things and their manufacturing um, practices. Um, they would be, you know, if you wanted to enter the China market to make things in China, you'd have to surrender that intellectual property. And if that didn't work, well, then they just bought the product and reverse engineered it um, and if that failed, well, then they tried to steal the the um, blueprints or the designs or the forward thinking. Uh, and that is today the biggest problem the FBI chases. They estimate that as much as $700 million a year in in actual intellectual property is stolen by the Chinese. And China's intent is to be the hegemonic power in the world by the, mid, the mid-century using their newly acquired wealth to coerce, cajole, and buy uh, their way into bigger trading, governmental, political, um, and, um, and other opportunities all in the name of trade. And so the president, given that reality, The president's absolutely right. But the way that he went about it is the problem. He used an 18th century blunt instrument. If you want to go back to the beginnings of America, that Tea Party that we had in 1775 was about a tax, a tariff on tea. So this is an 18th century blunt instrument. You bully and strengthen you know, uh, you bully and and then you threaten our neighbors and our allies. And the last time we tried this was called the Smoot-Harley tariffs of the early 1930s in reaction to the uh, collapse of the stock market in 1929. And it was those tariffs, those that attempt to protect US industry from abroad that led to a worldwide recession Heck, it was a depression, and the only way we got out of it was with a global war. We don't want to go there again. We know what the consequences of that were. But it's so much more now in a globally connected trading world. You know, since World War II, no country has been able to stand alone. We are all interconnected through alliances, through trade, through supply chains, et cetera. And so when you think about the blunt instrument of tariffs and the response, which is we won't buy agricultural products from the United States, and you and I have talked in the past about the fact that some of those markets are lost forever, um, the Amazon fires, the fires in the Amazon that are right now putting the global climate ecosystem at risk. We call the uh, Amazon basin the lungs of the world because it produces 20% of global oxygen. Uh, slash and burn has been an architectural, uh, an agricultural um, technique used in the Amazon since the aborigines were the only folks in Brazil. Um, but right now so many of those fires that are being set they're industrial sized fires they're being set to feed a growing trade with china in soybeans and beef all of that a direct cost to american agriculture so we are not only are we losing market share but we're but but the chinese in their pursuit of a food st- source for their growing population, is willing to risk the ecosystem of the world through this, this Brazilian um, technique. And if the G7 had their head together, this would be an opportunity. Um, so what should President Trump have done? Well, he's got two of the very best, and he didn't listen to them. If he'd listened to Robert Lighthizer and to Secretary of the, of the Treasury, Stephen uh, Munchin, as well as to Gary Cohn, the first economic advisor, um, he would have done this quite differently. The goal is absolutely the right goal. China must be contained. It is in the interests of the free world that China be contained. And an alliance between just China and Russia that's beginning to emerge is truly a frightening thing. So the president was absolutely right, but what should he have done? Well, the first case was instead of antagonizing the Mexicans and the Canadians and all our NATO partners, he should have gone and made the case to our major allies and to our four major trading partners, three of our four major trading partners, Canada, Mexico, and the EU, Um, and he should have gone and he should have talked to those folks who are joining the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, as it was written in the Obama administration, was a really bad deal for American workers. That cannot be contested. But that doesn't mean we should have thrown the baby out with the bathwater because the objective, the goal, remember, all plans are the result of having a goal. A plan is how are you going to reach that goal, okay? The goal was to rein in and contain China. And, and it's a serious threat. You've got to look at the Belt and Road strategy, which we ought to spend a, um, a podcast talking about. The increased military presence of China in Asia, Africa, the Indian Ocean, and the South Pacific. China is now the second largest economy in the world, and it has an unfair trading advantage. It is also guilty of espionage, and there is reason... It, you know, everybody I've ever said Huawei to blanches. I mean, and these are people who know enough that if they told me what they know, they'd have to kill me. Um, that Huawei represents, because it's really owned by the government of China, a threat to global communications. The more um, control their software has of of the internet, um, the more control China would have. And that's why Huawei is an important characteristic of, of an effective plan to rein in China. Once you convince your partners, okay, that China is doing all this stuff, you can then say, but we've got a solution. And that solution would have been, make a plan. Go to the World Trading Organization. All of you, China, uh, Mexico, Canada, the European Union, who combined with the United States are about, 65 or 70 percent of the world's economy should have gone to the World Trading Organization and said, you know, China, the second largest economy in the world, now the largest consumer economy in the world, uh, is no longer a developing nation. If you change the designation of Singapore from developing to developed, then certainly China should be now considered a developed country, and then all of the rules of the developed industrial nations would be applied to China. Today, those rules are not applied. They are still seen as a developing country by the World Trading Organization. That gives you the opportunity to sanction them globally for dumping Mm -hmm. aluminum, steel, other hard goods, on the marketplace. A Wait, co- is China
1: part of the G seven?
0: No. Oh, they're part of the G twenty.
1: Are there any other countries part of the G twenty that are considered developing nations? Yes. Who who else?
0: Um, Vietnam, other and and um, Indonesia and Mexico is considered a developing nation.
1: And they're they're in the G twenty.
0: Uh, no, Mexico. I don't think Mexico is in the G twenty. Um, I'll check yeah. on that. Yeah, I never thought about that. And we, Mexi- Mexico
1: is a developing nation.
0: Yes, and they should be. They're still a very agrarian. They have a very mixed economy, but you know, largely agrarian and um, low skilled, um, which is in no way a. a you know, I've worked with with Mexico, with Michaela Doros, and then those people work really, really hard. Um,
1: yeah, but- you're right. Mexico is part of the G20. Yep. G20 is Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, France, Germany, India. Is India considered a developing nation? Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, Indonesia, Italy, Japan, Mexico, Russia, Saudi Arabia. Is Saudi Arabia considered a developing nation? Uh, yes. Really?
0: Well, because... In about twenty years, when they run out of oil, what are they going to sell? Sand.
1: Well, what's the criteria for a developing nation?
0: That that you're coming into um, industrialization and a diverse middle class economy, etc. That you're coming out of the colonial um, um, usurpation.
1: Um, all, the, all these, you know, companies like. Mexico. Well, you're thinking major corporations. Wait a minute. Work, that that are based wait, there.
0: Wait a minute. The G20 are the 20 largest economies in the world. Okay? That does not mean that they are not in some cases developing nations in the, wor- in, the in the eyes of the World Trading Organization. Okay? The the World Trading Organization sets the rules for global trading. And the G20 represents the 20 largest economies in the world. The G20 abide by or are supposed to abide by the World Trading Organization rules. And it's those rules that determine whether that economy, given its you know, size, um, its size being ir- almost irrespective, whether that is a developing or developed uh, nation. In, in terms of a trading partnership. That's two different concepts, all right? Well, I'll Whether, tell you what,
1: in the eyes of, of me, I don't see these, these, these countries as developing nations.
0: Well, certainly China is not a developing nation. And if we changed the rules, if we designated them as a developed nation, as they should be, then we would be able to impose global sanctions on them rather than localized tariffs so we would give american industry american global companies at a a a level playing field us steel for example we would then give it that same level playing field to our friends in canada we don't have better friends than the canadians okay we would level that playing field across europe so that we would not be dealing with um with the dumping of major commodities to suppress the industries, of the the industrial segments of Western Europe or Canada or the United States or, in some cases, Mexico. Okay. Uh, Brazil is a developing nation. They are part of the G20. They are a very large company. Argentina is in terrible political strife again. But uh, Argentina is a more developed nation. Um, but the World Trading Organization rules might be a subject for a podcast. So, but if we go back to our plan, if the World Trading Organization had been the focus of the Trump administration and our allies to change that status, we could have imposed sanctions globally. That would have helped the United States, Canada, and Western Europe. We could have then applied easily a currency manipulation designation on China because China is an economy that manages because the state owns all the money, it manages the valuation. So, we impose a tariff, they devalue their currency in order to make the pricing more attractive, okay? Otherwise, otherwise people would say, "Oh, there's no difference in the price." All right.
1: Isn't that what Trump wants to do? He wants to devalue our currency, right?
0: Uh, no, he doesn't. Yeah, he has said he the wants dollar. A weak, he, he wants a weaker he, dollar. He wants a weaker dollar, which is not. But see, the thing is, the dollar is the reserve currency. Everybody else pegs their doll, their money against our, ours. So, yes, when the dollar is weaker against, let's say, the pound, et cetera, then, yes, exports are less expensive. But um, weakening the dollar does not solve the China problem. It just hurts your 401k. We also need to strengthen, for a whole lot of reasons, including immigration, the hemispheric cooperation. It would probably surprise most listeners, it's going to surprise you, Vince, that China has a hemis- a Western hemispheric, an America's hemispheric group, in- intended to be a trading alliance, okay, with... All of the Americas except the United States and Canada because they're trying to grow their trading and political influence back to the damage that's being done in the Amazon region right now. That's a short-term economic gain to Brazil and a long-term risk to mankind.
1: I like that you point out that it's a risk to mankind because I I, I see these, these tweets and people you know, are posting – oh, the Earth's lungs are, are choking. It's like, no, no, the Earth is doing just fine. Humans might be in trouble, but the Earth is going to keep going.
0: Yeah, the planet's going to The planet's, the planet's keep, fine. The planet's fine. The existing flora, fauna, and the human race may not be in such good shape.
1: Yeah, All we right? might not be on the planet for long, but the planet's going to keep going on. So,
0: But here's the case that we could make, you know, if we talk about all of these things, um, strengthening hemispheric cooperation. The United States and Canada should be the, the teachers, the mentors, the uh, partners of our Latin American brothers. In, 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 and if we did something in that area, um, a whole lot of good things would come from that. But allowing China to get that kind of a foothold while imposing tariffs on American consumers just makes no sense. Especially when we keep talking about climate change and getting to zero pollution and so on and so forth. In addition to the Amazon and the the issues with the lungs of the earth, who are the greatest polluters on the planet? The Chinese. Whole communities have been Poisoned whole regions um, on their their um, manufacturing and extraction of what are called rare earth minerals, which is another topic for consideration on another day. And they and they make they use they import coal from the United States from Australia. They have the biggest coal reserves in the world, and they burn coal to the point where they're air pollution looks like a really bad Thule fog here. And yet all the things we're talking about here in the United States are meaningless if that pollution doesn't go away. So why is that not a focus of a rational trading, uh, geopolitical trading policy with China? So since we are where we are, with tariffs, since none of those rational solutions were the first steps tried, we went straight to tariffs. Tariffs that hurt U.S. consumers and are devastating our agricultural industry. So let's hope this weekend the president does two things at the G7 meeting. First, he can help the Amazon region by convincing Europe, by selling Europe on United States beef and beans which are grown in a far less toxic environment than Brazil's. So Ireland, if you want, if you want beef, we've got beef, and, and it, won't, it, it won't reduce the lungs of the earth. And the other thing that we better hope does not happen in this weekend is please, please, President Trump, Do not talk us into a recession, a slowdown, 1% growth at the end of the year. We can manage that, but the Fed and Congress are almost out of tools. Our interest rates are so low and Congress has already done so much with taxing and, and deficit spending that we don't have a lot of tools left to mitigate a really serious recession, So we've got to be really, really, really careful. Don't talk Europe or the United States into something we don't need. We don't need a recession. We need to take a deep breath. As I've just pointed out, we have lots of bullets in our arsenal, a lot more bullets in our arsenal of trading tools than does China. But at this serious and consequential moment, before we do anything else, Let's aim before we fire next time. And let's not talk ourselves into or react ourselves into a recession. And we'll be back next week.
1: Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at ReimagineAmerica.org and Ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America.
0: This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.